Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. Episode 34, Gaming as the Other. Recorded by John Stravopoulos at Metatopia 2013. Presented by Terry Hope Romero, Ajit George, and Mark Diaz Truman. Gaming as the Other. Uh, thank you guys for all for coming to the panel. It's really exciting. We haven't talked about this much. Uh, at least I haven't seen it in the community. And I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited uh, to talk with Mark and Terry and to engage with you guys on something that's, I think, a great aspect of the community. It can be a great aspect of the community. I'd also like to thank, uh, I put out a, like a notice on Google Plus asking people to think about wearing normal, normal non-Western clothing during this day or during the con. And that was sort of to think about uh, what our expectations of normal are, what is the default of normal, what is the default of the gaming community. And, and it's often been a Western uh, slant, a lot of positive and awesome things out of that. But we miss an entire world out there of diversity, of attitudes, of ideas, and by doing things a little differently, whether it's wearing different clothes, talking about different movies that we've seen that are foreign films, whether it's different games, all of these things add a richness, a texture, a beauty to the community that only helps it grow. And so for those of you guys who heard my message and took a chance and wore it, I know it was a little difficult. I know a few of you guys are a little nervous to wear it. And that's an interesting thing to think about because that nervousness is something maybe people of color often feel within the community in different ways. Even wearing, for me, a kutta, the first time I ever wore one, was at a double exposure event. And the first time I put on that kutta and coming, came to a gaming event, I was really nervous. I thought, what will people think if I wear something that's non-Western? But the shirt that I wore was non-Western but very normal to my culture and the country and the background I came from. And I just want us to defy the expectation of normal and rethink the expectation of normal. So thank you all for coming and for participating. I'm Aja George. I'm just a member of the community as a uh, hobbyist. In my professional life, I'm director of operations for a nonprofit. So I'm Mark Diaz Truman. I'm a, I, I'm a game designer uh, professionally. That's weird to say. Yeah, okay, cool. So <laughs> Rob says I shouldn't put the question mark, so I'll do that. Okay, so I'm a professional game designer. I, the question mark mostly comes because a lot of my other work is community organizing. So I kind of split my time between this beautiful hobby and spending time working with low-income communities and, and building power to confront challenges. Um, and I really want to thank Ajit specifically because I think for a lot of the time that I've been in this community, I've been thinking I've been talking about this stuff. Like, I've been like, clearly I'm talking about this. Everybody knows I'm talking about this. But Ajit really pushed me to recognize, not intentionally, like he didn't call me and say, Mark, you should do better. But like, <laughs> pushed me. Yeah. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he pushed me to think about like, wait, am I really talking about it if I'm not willing to, you know, metaphorically wear the kurta and say, I'm talking about it? You know, or, or am I talking about it if I'm dancing around the issue? And I, I think that I'm here today to continue that discussion openly and honestly and not just in sort of like oblique phrases. And I really want to thank Ajit for that. And I am Terry Romero. And thanks, Ajit and Mark. Um, and I am also a big fan of games. I go to a lot of conventions. I run games. Maybe I'll write games. And professionally, uh, I do a bunch of things, but some of the part of it, a big part of what I do is write cookbooks. And I recently broached uh, for vegan cookbooks. And I recently kind of hedged this topic with the vegan community at a vegan blogger conference. And I, and I brought that up among, again, a community that also has um, a, you think is probably on the outside, a very white community, <laughs> but does have 
a community of color within that as well. And I, and I had to subject as well, like, let's talk about, you know, how can we, you know, acknowledge these people are here and really think about what is important to us. So I see the parallels there, and I'm excited to talk about this today. Great. I think a lot of us ask why, uh, and a lot of you guys, John asked you guys, why are you here? Uh, there was a diversity of reasons, and it's really interesting to hear why you guys are here. I think there's larger issues as to why we're here, or why this is important, why this is important for the community, and maybe Terry can shine a, a light on a couple of ideas as to why. I'll start, yeah, I'll start here. So uh, one of the reasons why we're here, up here, is that for many, many years, uh, I've attended and also hosted uh, gaming, uh, you know, women in gaming kind of panels and discussions. And I remember when there really weren't any of those discussions going on at gaming conventions. You know, something that we all go to a lot and we enjoy. And people like to think gamers are not social, and that's totally not true. Of course, we like being around each other and playing games with each other. But I remember when the, no one was talking about uh, women uh, who play games and the certain challenges that uh, women face and people that, you know, no women might face. So, and those, we've seen those, those, those kind of talks blossom in different kinds of gaming conventions, addressing all kinds of things. And they've really evolved, and it's very exciting to see how they have evolved. And the thing I've uh, noticed is that the same thing has not particularly happened, and it's starting to happen with the queer community, which is super exciting to see that queer, the queer gaming community is starting to have those panels addressed. But I haven't really seen that happen with you know, people of color yet. And the discussions that we have with, um, you know, with race and racism in you know, the United States, which is a really deep and complex issue, so I'm hoping that this can, and, and please, if anyone, let me know, have you, has, have you seen any kind of discussions like this happen at conventions, an actual panel, anywhere? Okay, so let's, let's change this. Let's start this. So yeah. I'm hoping that this, this little tiny panel we're going to have for like less than an hour, and a and, and large portion will open up to you guys, because we want to hear what you have to think, say, is going to be the, a little tiny springboard for more of these discussions to happen and evolve in conventions when we're all actually looking at us, looking at each other face to face to face and can have a much different kind of conversation than what you would have online. So that's why I think it's really, that's why I'm here. I'd like to add to that. Um, I think about why this discussion is important uh, regarding what maybe what we will have lost or what we will never have known that we have lost. When the community or, or the hobby started, um, in the modern era, it's like, I guess, the 70s when D&D &D and, and cons came out. Uh, it was a very homogeneous group and uh, maybe not welcoming to a lot of groups. Certainly, I think I would not have joined the community at that point, especially as an adult. Uh, even now, as an adult, had I not grown up with the gaming community, I kind of wonder, uh, would I find the barrier of entry very high? Would I say, there isn't a lot of people who look like me? Is the artwork, does it represent me? Do the games have any kind of connection to me? And so I might have been a lost community member. And I'd like to think that I add uh, a positive to it. I know a lot of people of color within the community add a lot of positives, whether they be your friends, um, spouses, uh, you know, partners. Professionally, there's a lot of connections to be made, a lot of support to be made, created from it. I think there is, the, the community is growing and it's become more diverse, but there's a lot of room to grow further. And we will never know what we will have lost, but not expanding our boundaries and borders. And so if we take the step forward and open up, create new avenues for greater diversity, this community will be so much richer in years to come and so much more powerful in years to come. And I am truly genuinely excited about that. I also think about 
just the creativity, just the general like what we'll add, what new kind of game designers, what new players will come into it. But I also think about mainstream engagement. We want to, we are our own uh, community, and we have our own unique ideas and, and interests. But I would like to see a greater engagement by the mainstream, and they, to not look at us and go, this is a really, this, the group of this community is, is only, only represents a very sl- small sliver of people. I think with a greater diversity of community members, it is easier for us to reach out to the mainstream and to the mainstream to reach into us, and, and that there is a good cross-section between the two. And so those are all, like, I think, really important and genuinely important to all of us reasons for why diversity and um, engagement with people of color within the community is important. The last point about the mainstream is really interesting to me because... A lot of the video game community, which has gotten really, really big in the last like ten or fifteen years, it's totally mainstream. If you're in high school, you play video games, like it's just a given, right? That video game community is is very broad, and I would imagine that one of the reasons it's so broad is that there are so many titles that um, directly address the experiences of, or at least the interests, maybe not the experience, but the interests of um, many different groups of people. And to some degree, that's because there's more money and there's more. There's a whole lot of reasons why that has occurred. It's not just because video game designers are somehow so much better people than us. That's because like, no. <laughs> they're terrible people. <laughs> no, no. Uh, they, I think. I think that for me, like, I came to the hobby definitely as a kid. Like, I played Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition uh, with the the book with the guy riding the horse on it. Like, that was my book, and I was totally the GM for my little group in a basement. And they were all the kids I played with were white. I was a Boy Scout, and they were all white kids, and I was the only minority. And like, it just never occurred to me that that book was weird for not having any minorities in it because that was just that's just fantasy. It's just the way it was. But there are like a lot of other options now. And the, the explosion of culture means that you have more options as a minority to explore many other places with many other groups of fiction or many other titles that would be a, that would be more appealing to you just because they're more like about you and about what's going on in your life. And I think that we have this huge community of people that would add value to what we're doing that would also just grow our community. And, and I think generally, you know, coming to a con like this and being able to be around all these game designers is a good reminder that like, there is like this effect that happens when people come physically come together. And sometimes we can keep in, like we can convince ourselves that like gaming online and kind of knowing each other everywhere across the country and coming together once a month is like, that's awesome. But actually like there is within each city we live in enough people to have our own, our own communities that then we could bring here. And then our whole community should, could share this space together. Not just a couple of people from Boston and a couple of people from Texas and a couple of people from Seattle, but like each of those could be its own really super generative community that reached deep into the urban roots of those cities and, and really was robust. Not that it's not robust or not good now, but it could be so much more robust. Um, and I think that has to start with us opening up a little bit. And and that's not a challenge to you all in the audience. I think I've talked about this before online, and I'll say it again. Like that's almost even more of a challenge to me. That like as a minority designer, uh, it's actually tough to do that work. It's it's my first game was not like the Hispanic Guide to Role Playing. Like because guess, guess, guess what? That book doesn't exist. It still doesn't exist as far as I know. Right. Yeah, there's no Hispanic. Yeah. I should totally. Hispanics and Hispanics, right? Second edition. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Latinos and Hispanics. Latinos and Hispanics. Let's make right? it really yeah, yeah Latinos, everyone. Hispanics, Chicano. This yeah. the Chicano class. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like, there's no. So, with that in mind, I mean, it's a nice transition, yeah. maybe. To yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe you yeah. can just talk about, uh, you know, game designers. What game designers can yeah. do? Yeah. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, like, I think that this is a game design convention, and usually when I do these panels, they go the other way. I talk about community members, 
and then I say, okay, if we get up to the point where you're designing a game, but we should start the other way here. Like, you're all game designers, so let's talk, let's start there. So the first thing is, like, it is actually really tough to do that work of, like, engaging other cultures and really putting it into, like, the core of the game. So we want to make sure that the, the easy stuff kind of gets taken care of. And I think I have to, we have a couple of people we'd like to tip the hat to uh, in general, tip uh, perhaps even an evil hat, because I think that my experiences <laughs> working with Rob and Fred in particular have been amazing in terms of just the basics of, like, representation in games, right? So I got to write for the Fate System Toolkit, which was amazing, and, like, when they asked me to do it, I was like, you probably have the wrong person, but I'm going to do it before you realize that, so let's just do this, <laughs> right? And I got the art for the, the main cover of the book, and I'm like, there's an African-American superhero on the cover of this book who, like, she looks awesome. It's like, she looks amazing. Like, she looks cooler than, like, any other superhero I've seen on the, on the front of a role-playing book that wasn't, like, already a Marvel book, right? Like, <laughs> like she is the most, most cool original art I've seen for a superhero. And, like, that's just normal for them because they put the effort into making it normal. And I think that it's really something that can take a little time to kind of get yourself in the right mindset for, but really can make a difference because there is going to be some... Well, yeah. <laughs> and I think they'll be the first to tell you, like, it's easy to do it wrong. And when you do it right, like, you can just imagine that in Houston, Texas, there's going to be some African-American girl who goes into the game store and she looks at a list of titles and she sees that book and she's like, it's just it's one fewer barrier to her being like, you know what? I could do that. Like, I'm on the cover of the book, right? And so if somebody's like, really, is that for you? If she even says to herself, because I've said to myself, yeah, is that for me? Totally. Then you look at it, well, clearly, I'm on the cover of the book. How could it not yeah. be for me? And so I think that's one of the really basic ones, is, is tackling that first level of, like, do minorities show up in your, in your fiction, in your, in your art, in your examples, in a way that's meaningful, not just as, like, stereotypes, but actually as people who have sort of robust agency to do the things they do. And that varies by setting, right? Like, I work in some settings where minorities have a certain place in the setting, and that's fine. Like, that's, it's silly to write a World of Darkness book, for example, and be like, well, you know, there are no African-Americans in this gang because that could be offensive. Like, okay, let's, <laughs> like, like, it is true that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is true that in inner cities, African-Americans are in gangs. That is, a, that there are some, yes, true. So, like, you don't need to run away from any negative, like, neg even negative doesn't make, negative is not the issue. The issue is whether these are people that you look at that superhero on the cover of the Fate System Toolkit and you're like, she has a story. I don't know what it is. Like, I'm going to make it up, but like, she has a, a whole story and I want to see in the books that I write and I, that I take part in, that I read, I want to see other minority groups of all kinds have stories that actually convey to me as a minority that like, yeah, this is a system or a book that I can be a part of. That actually like kind of reminds me like you're talking about the gangs thing and not like yeah. I think like we could take a couple like like tips from like what you have what has happened perhaps like with women in represented yeah. in gaming and like you know the idea that like if women are invisible you know the opposite thing which is problematic is putting women on a pedestal and like women can do nothing wrong and like they're no all you know they're only good and yeah. and sweet and nice when like that is also like not a realistic representation as well. So like I think we're trying to strive for like as like designers and writers and creators is to try to get that, something in the middle that's that feels real that we're, we we need to escape like any kind of stereotype whether or not it's like this you know obviously a terrible stereotype or like the weird like mirror idealized version of it as well that is also problematic. Like, how do you make people seem real? How do you make these people seem like three-dimensional people, even if you're only describing an NPC in, like, three sentences? I think you know? it's, it's interesting because 
that's actually a problem for all of fiction or all of game writing. That's not yeah. a minority person issue, right? Like, if you were going to have, like, a white terrorist who is, like, part of a militant group that does bombings against the government in your game, you wouldn't just be like, all right, that's him. That's it. We're done. Because they would seem cliche and stupid, not because yeah. it's offensive. I mean, I'm not particularly worried about offensive, like offending white right-wing militant bombers. Like, like that's that's like they can take it. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, like they can take it. But like, I mean, like, say goodbye to those dollars. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. I don't even want those people to buy my game. No, I mean, like, great example is in, in Inglorious Bastards, the the Nazi bad guy, right? Is like, there's no like he's a Nazi, right? Like, and he's not just like a Nazi like. Like, hey, I joined the party because I had to. Like, he kind of delights in his job, right? He loves it. He's a really fascinating character because he's brilliant, because he's cunning, because uh, you, at some points you almost, like, want him to find the heroes. But he's also, like, deeply human. Like, he has his own interests and his own plans and his own stuff. Compare that to, like, Indiana Jones Nazis who are, you know, effectively just mooks. That's fine. They could be just Nazis. But, like, they don't have, like, anything that draws me to them as a person. Like, they're a guy in a uniform. Right? And what we want to do is to treat minorities as not people in uniforms. Like, I'm not just a minority. I'm a person who also happens to be a minority. And that's important to me. Like, there's a feedback loop that goes through that, where my experiences come through a certain role. But differentiating that role in self, right? Like, there is a self behind my role as a man or as a Latino or as a game designer. And there's a me behind that. And if all you do is present me with people who are just roles, that's all they do is they just have this one role that they fill, then I think you're missing out on something really precious about individual humans, right, and their ability to have a self. I want to uh, I'll give a, a shout-out to also Julia Allenbaugh and Brennan Taylor, and Rachel Walton for different things they've done. I'm sure there's others that, like, I, I'm just not familiar with the work, but, like, knowing that Steal Away Jordan exists was amazing for me. Like, that just made me so happy. And I think every time I think about where there's a game that resonates and says, hey, this isn't just about, this is about minorities or this is about people of color, it reminds me there's a reason for me to be in the community. There's a place for me in the community. And those are things that are just incredible, really great. And I had written a bit and kind of was spending a little bit in frustration about what I felt the lack of engagement with the gaming community had with people of color. And one of the first things I saw after that was Rachel Walton for her Long Orbit hack did artwork that represented people of color for the game. And I was like, wow, I knew Rachel's been thinking about this already. And then she immediately responded and acted on, on what I was thinking. And I felt heard. And having a voice and feeling heard is incredibly important. Incredibly important. And feels very, very much like there's a reason that I am in the community, that the community wants me to be here. And so those are great things. Kind of spinning off of what these guys are saying, one of the things that I think is uh, really great for game designers to think about is not, there's, there's some great stuff like, I know Brennan is working on a, on a hack that in, feudal Japan, and I think that's fantastic because it brings it to the other, right? You bring into a completely different community, a different kind of world, a different land. But I also think I played recently a LARP uh, called Play the Cards, and it was just about high school, right? just about high school kids, you know, at a party. And it was the first time in my life that I saw a character that reminded me of me. First time ever. I went kind of crazy. Like, all my friends just could, like, they heard me, like, I was, like, on the phone yelling in excitement. I was writing about it. I was like, wow, this is an Indian character with an Indian name, and he's in regular normal society. He's just, he's just a dude in society, but he's of Indian origin, and he represents something of me. And that was so powerful for me. And so I ask you, as game designers who are here, to think about that. We, there's multiple levels you can work. You can, you can engage in India, you can engage in Japan, or you can engage in uh, Venezuela. But you can also engage in America in the modern setting with minority characters as primary characters 
We're not just your support role. We're not just like the mook that gets killed or, or, or the guy who serves you coffee. But we are the protagonist. Or maybe we are the main antagonist, but one that has a human face to it. And that is something I ask of you as game designers to think about, uh, to bring us in, to make us feel welcome, to have, make us feel like there's a place for us in the community. And to bring a new generation of excited kids who would love to play games if only they knew that there's some place, that there's something of them in those games. Uh, Metatopia, I, I'm sorry that uh, Vinny and Avanel are not here. I don't think they're in the room, but the first thank you is to them. They heard, I wrote about this, and they heard immediately, and then Avanel was immediately, like she sent me an email as soon as I wrote going, I am very frustrated by the fact, the lack of engagement by the community in, in uh, people of color. And I wrote kind of extensively about it, and within like 30 minutes, I got an email from her going, what can I do? How can I help you? Where, what do I need to do to make this happen? And I wrote about what organizers can do, and one of the things is I said, uh, give us a panel and don't stick us in the 12 a.m. to 4 p.m. slot. Because uh, that's bullshit, and we're kind of thrown aside as sort of a token. I don't want to be the token minority panel. I want to be a primary slot, and I want to be a primary slot that isn't cross-booked against anything so that people have an opportunity to come and see us and talk. And Avanel was all over it. She's like, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to happen now. And Benny was on top of it, too. The two of them made it happen. They put their money uh, where their mouth is, and they acted on it. And I think the next couple panels are also about inclusivity and, and engagement. And that's thrilling to see that a series of panels are all there, primary slots, the prime time. Again, not cross-booked. And so that's one of the biggest things an organizer t can do. The double exposure events are also my first real cons, and this is the this is the first panel I've ever sat on for a gaming convention. And this, the, that's the, the reason is, is the first time I actually felt passionate enough to sit in a panel and speak on a panel. Uh, it spoke to me. This is something I wanted to come out and do. And so I am I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm really thrilled that Avanel and Vinny made this happen. What else do you think uh, organizers can do? I mean, panels and support is one of the biggest ones. So we, we Marissa and I go to uh, RinCon, which is in Tucson. Brennan was there this year as well. And RinCon is a tiny con. It's just a you know couple hundred people that come for the whole like, you know for the whole weekend. And like they have been super friendly in the same way about like having us do an inclusivity panel. It's a little broader for us that we don't get as much time, and there's only two of us, so we kind of do the whole package of marginalized communities in general. But like they're super supportive, and people come out to it, and they ask these questions, and they really want to know, and they really want to engage. And I think part of working as an organizer, both being a community member who's working with an organizer or being an organizer is you have to build relationships. It's got to be built around actually having a long-term discussion with the people you're working with. It's not about just getting one panel. I think what's amazing about Abby and Vinny is that like they're not just talking about a panel. They're talking about bringing in vendors that might match yeah, better, like booking games. like And that comes from not just demanding one thing, but actually being really invested in letting the organizer know why this matters. And the organizer is really listening to the minority groups that want those pieces so that there's real relationships that form. And it does mean sitting aside a little time, which I think can be tough when you're in this environment where sometimes I'm a little exhausted, like I'm a little tired by kind of thinking about it and fighting about it. Yeah. And like, it's really great to have somebody who I can sit with and have a human relationship with and then build on that to do more work in that space. And so I really encourage anybody who's working with organizers or any organizers to not see, again, not this is like the common thing, don't see minorities as like, I am representative of minority group X and I want a panel. I'm Mark and I have some concerns. And if you get to know me, you'll really understand how best to meet those concerns and what I'm really looking for. And here's the pro tip 
Ajit and I have different concerns. <laughs> Dude, are we just both brown? We're, lot, we're both brown. We're both brown, right? For lots of different reasons, right? Like, you know, when Ajit talks about wearing non-Western clothing, I don't own any non-Western clothing for lots of reasons. But one of them being, I don't really come from a non-Western culture, right? I just come from a brown non-Western, or brown Western culture. Right? Yeah, so, like, we're Western, right? Mostly. <laughs> Mostly, right? Uh, and, and so because of that, it means, that, you know, I'm listening to Ajit, and I'm talking to the organizers, and he's talking to organizers, and you might get mixed messages because you're like, well, what do these brown people want? It's like, well, they, like, they want... What do they want? I don't understand these guys. What do they want? Like, they want so right, they want different things. I don't know. I mean, I've literally, like... I've yeah. sat in environments where I do a lot of ed policy work, and I've sat in environments where one person will say, look, I don't want white teachers at my school who come in for two years and leave. I don't like that. And another person will say, well, I love having these resources come to my school, so I love it. And the person listening says, well, apparently you can't decide, so I'm just going to do what I want. Yeah. And I'm like, that, when people don't agree in the community you're talking to, it doesn't mean you get to ignore them. It means that you actually have to... I don't know, talk to them like they're people and that they might not all agree just because they fit one role, right? So as an organizer, I think it means building those relationships, but also as a, you know, advocate or activist in regards to organizers, don't fall in the trap of forgetting that you are one half of that relationship. And I really admire that you were, you know, you talked with Avenel and Vinny yeah. multiple times. I, w- I want to say quickly for them, had like Avenel been even less, just a fraction less receptive or, or given more resistance, I probably would have dropped it. I like was fuming or I was unhappy and yep. it meant a lot to me. But I was so used to hearing a no or resistance or a lack of interest or lack of engagement or, yeah, that sounds great, but that's not really my problem kind of response that had it, there been even a little bit of resistance, I think I would have dropped it. Avenel did the opposite. She reached out to me and was constantly like, what can I do? How can I make this happen? To her credit, her and Vidi are the... I can't think of a better group of organizers in terms of that regard. Like, they're the ones who, who made more effort in this than anyone else. I will give a hat tip to the, the WeirdCon people in that they've also reached out to me and seem to be uh, pretty engaged as well. And they're out in, uh, they're out in L.A. Well, I mean, I, the only con I help organize is Nerd NYC, our recess events. And those are very small-scale cons. We don't have time for panels. We don't have the space yeah, yeah. and, like, the pretty bare bones as far as, like, conventions go. But, like... I mean, one thing we could do is just try to attract more uh, got people, people of color that run games. Because if people just see that this is a friendly environment, like, and, what, and if we see people that, you know, that come to our events that like games, <laughs> that seem to be having a good time, and say, I want to run a game at next recess, then you're like, great, you know, open up to them, talk to them. And that's like, the, that's like probably one of the most simple, like, face-to-face things you could do if you, if you run, like, a tiny little one-day convention like we do. And maybe this is a great time for you to talk about what community members can do. Let's go to community now. Yeah. So community is, I think, everyone else, uh, all of us sitting here. You know, we get to, like, if we're not actually on a panel or running uh, a game or, you know, running a convention, we are community members of the gaming community. And there's so many things, small things that we can do. And I think one of them is being a fan of games that we feel promote the values of diversity. You find a game you really like, I love Steal Away Jordan. Talk about Steal Away Jordan. Yeah. You know, like, like talk awesome. about games or talk about like this particular scenario I thought was really cool. I think it had like a really cool character in there. I think it had a really cool player character. It had a really interesting NPC. had an interesting theme. If you run games, if you're a GM, run the game. And I know a lot of people don't like to GM. Like, probably everyone here, maybe because it's a game designing convention, maybe you run a game once. If you've never run a game before, or if you, so, if you know someone that you think would like to run a game, 
and likes what you do and likes that kind of game, run that with them. So it's encouraging people to run games, perhaps of color. I mean, that may be a little crazy sounding, but like, yeah, encourage them to run a game um, and talk about the games. Be a fan. Be a fan of the games that, you know, encourage diversity. I think it's also about rewriting the narrative about some of these games because if you play like Steal Away Jordan, which we've talked about a million times because it's awesome, and I pitch you on Steal Away Jordan, I'm like, look, here's the game. You're going to play Slaves. How's that sound? Like, even for me, before I played it, and I was very, it sounds awesome. <laughs> right, like, like, to be honest, before I played it, I got to play with Julia, which is like a really, really amazing experience. You play it, and you're, before you play it, you're like, I am nervous about this. I am nervous about how this is going to go on multiple levels. I am nervous about what I might be exposed to as a player. I'm also nervous about what I might say, because I'm going to say something offensive or dumb, right? And I sat down and played with Julia, and she did two things I thought really, like, rocked my world. One is, she was just very, like, completely at ease with being like, these are the boundaries, these are my boundaries, what are your boundaries? And we agreed upon them, and after we did it, I was like, I do that every time I game, about everything. Why is it different here? It's not. It's not different because you're playing dog-eat-dog, but you're going to set some boundaries about what's going to happen. It's just that it might be a little bit more real. And, but, you know, it's not really, because fiasco can be, like, crazy dark. So we're used to that already. And then the second thing she did was she held up, we played it online, so this is really effective, but it works in person too. She held up a bunch of photos of people and said, these are the characters that live in your lives. And I think all of them were celebrities, I think for the most part. She was like, these are the African-American celebrities and African celebrities who are going to be your friends and partners and maybe allies, maybe enemies, and these are the white people who own you. <laughs> and she phrased it as like, is this the guy that owns you? Is this? And, like, and I was like, mind equals blown, like on the, on, the, on the chat, right? And I think it was like Matthew McConaughey specifically. <laughs> right? But like, and I was like, oh my God, he's not wearing a shirt, and he totally, totally wouldn't wear a shirt on the plantation, and it would just be awful. And we, then we had the most amazing, fun Time. And that was what was crazy about it. It was fun. It was, it was so much fun. And the same goes for Dog Eat Dog or Kajimatsu or any other game that is tackling difficult issues. It's still a game. It's still, in order to get to the point that people asked you to play it, it was not just like a learning experience in which you were like, I reflect on my privilege and I've learned something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, like at the end of it, you're like, you're like, I learned something about my privilege. It was kind of uncomfortable. But also, that was awesome. Right? Yeah. And that's really cute. Yeah, it shouldn't be like you're eating your broccoli. I mean, like, yeah. this isn't like eating your vegetables yeah. and like, wow, I'm going to be a better human being by doing this. Like, you should have fun. You should, you should enjoy fun. yourself. It may be a little bit more complicated. It may be a little bit more challenging. But... It will be enriching. As a community member, another thing, because I'm mostly just a community member. Sometimes I'm an organizer for, for games, but mostly just a community member. Jason Morningstar uh, tapped me and he said, hey, do you think you could run Fiasco the LARP at John Jay College uh, in New York? I was like, sure. And I didn't really know anything about this. Did not realize the students that attended were primarily minority. So I went out there, and then I, I kind of learned a little bit about it in, in, in advance, and I ran the game, and I was, it was the first time I ever ran a game, especially uh, like a large-scale game, where almost all the players were African-American or Latino. And that was an insane experience, actually, for me, in terms of just uh, awakening, awareness, looking at the community differently, going, wow, these people are also minority uh, members of the community. It's not just, there's just, you know, the color group is different. And, and that kind of blew my mind, actually. I just sat there going, wow, this is pretty incredible. And they brought a different flavor to Fiasco. They brought a different perspective to the game. Uh, they brought their own history, their own background to, to the characters. Their reactions were really different. And it was, I learned something from playing that fiasco game, but I loved it. 
And so it wasn't like missionary work, or it wasn't some kind of like, I'm going to go be a good social person. I'm, yeah, GM for America. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. I had, that was one of the most memorable uh, gaming experiences I've ever had, and I had a blast with it. It was a lot of fun, but it was different, and it was slightly outside of my comfort zone. And so I challenge you guys as community members, go outside your comfort zone. It may be a little difficult. It may be a little scary, but it will be fucking awesome if you're willing to risk it on so many levels. Well, I think that's like, that's the premise of our community, right? It's like, it's like for the, for the indie community broadly, we're not just going to like knock down doors and kill monsters unless there's some sort of loop crane design timer to make it interesting. <laughs> right. So like, so like, right. So like that's, that's the point, right? It's like we, we committed as a community to pushing beyond our comfort zone. So we just want to call upon that particular value. We're not asking you to adopt like a different value. We're saying that value should extend to the way we behave as a community yeah. broadly, not just the games we play. And we've given you a whole lot of options, which can sometimes feel like, well, then I don't know what to do. And it's like, no, do this thing. These other options we presented are ways to do that thing. But it means being intentional about asking people to be part of your community or, or running a game or hosting a panel or doing, like, just pick one of the things we've talked about. But the real one thing we want you to do is to push yourself just a little bit outside of what feels normal. And that goes for us, yeah. too. It's not, it's not like we are, like, constantly in touch with this. No, we're not like, you know, we don't represent all the non-white people out there, obviously. <laughs> I speak so, for all brown people everywhere. You speak for all brown people everywhere. <laughs> just saying. Well, I, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> At last, somebody. Somebody to speak for all the brown people. Yeah. Um, so I think one thing to keep in mind is that this is, it's okay to feel uncomfortable about this kind of stuff. I think it's okay to feel uncomfortable, even if you're by yourself writing, or if you're at a game, or if you're planning something to run at a convention. I mean, I feel uncomfortable right now. You guys feel comfortable? Yeah, it's a little tricky. It's a little bit, I feel, I honestly, coming to this panel, yeah. it's a little bit like, wow, so, what am I doing here? What's going to happen? Yeah, so it's okay, like, you know, to feel a little uncomfortable, you know, try, like, when you're pushing the boundaries, your, 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 own, your own boundary. But again, like, it's that balance, like we were saying before. This is still fun games. This is a hobby. Maybe every now and then we can take a step back and realize this is something we, we are opting in for, okay? But at the same time, it's also something we're very passionate about and very, very excited about, you know? So it's worth, it's worth working on and fighting yeah. for. Yeah, so the question is, um, how do we influence the bigger world of role-playing, acknowledging that the indie community is not the end-all and be-all of, of that community, right? That there's other communities out there. I think my first thing is, like, I just kind of want to make sure where I live is cool. Like in this space, this is this is my space, and I, I I want to feel really welcome here, and I want other people who are like me to feel welcome here. And so, step one for me is like let's let's get some of this in order. Um, and I think very much, uh, and we look to uh, women in gaming and uh, queer thought in gaming as a model, like not as a competitor with us at all. Like we we're excited to see all of that change happening. And we actually look at it and are like, wow, that's so awesome. We should do that. We should start those kinds, not that conversation, because that conversation is already happening, but those kinds of conversations. And I think in very much the same way, it's about building um, people who are committed to change. Not awareness. I'm not a big fan of raising awareness. Like, I'm aware of a lot of things I do nothing about. What I, <laughs> like, that's, and, and the reality is because I only have a limited amount of time to do anything about anything. But this is my this is my home. This is like where I work and where I play and where I and I and I love people associated with this community. And so if that's the case, then I feel motivated to do something better to to better the immediate surroundings. And we'll have a conversation in five years where you can ask that question and I I will have a plan for what we do about about people outside. James, you know I work a nonprofit. Actually this model is very similar in that um, our focus is on on, on limited amount of uh, individuals and those individuals will move forward and do other things totally. beyond that boundary. That's my, my hope yep. for this, that we will impact great game designers, great community members, great organizers, and they in turn will impact others. 
And I'm hoping for a ripple effect. The question is, white people want lists? Okay. I, I don't know. I don't... The list. We're just repeating the question for the mic. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so the question is, uh, how can the majority or, or white people be better allies? Uh, they need. Can we give them greater guidance or or support uh, in in figuring out how to be better allies and how to engage with us better? Okay. Whew. All right. I think the key is not to get overwhelmed with like, you suddenly have to do 80 things. By the end of today, you need to be an ally 15 times. No, I think that's like the wrong way. And I think it's kind of a spiral of like getting out of control. I think one thing to think about is kind of like the old like writer adage, like like write what you, what you know. And sort of like, what are you already working on? You, you guys design board games, okay? Like you already have a platform, this wonderful platform to launch off of, okay? And, and I think this, this, the actual thing you had where the, you, you got the artist, you got the art back, and you knew there was something wrong. <laughs> you knew that there was something missing, okay? And I think that's a wonderful step. There, there's your answer. You like, go out and, and, and work on that board game. Go out and like, do, do some research. You know, what do people look like? What do real, actual people look like? We have something, we have wonderful, you can go on the internet and start actually looking at real people. Maybe not rely on Hollywood so much. Because, you know, Hollywood is definitely kind of, like, you know, shifted and very slanted toward a certain kind of type of person. But, like, you know, look at actual, like, real people in real situations. That, that was what I was going to get to. There's no master checklist. Yeah. And so uh, I would say take risks. I'd rather you risk boldly and fuck up uh, and, and get it wrong than to not try it at all. Uh, I mean, especially, like, Kristen Brennan, like, I, we know you guys. And so, like, no one's going to ever accuse you guys of, like, ill intent. But if you're a new game designer that's not known on the, on, the, on the scene, still risk and talk and engage and ask questions. Be part of the, the, the conversation in a continuous basis. But I would also say, like, also get outside of your comfort zone just slightly. So briefly, like, I lived in Texas, and I, most of my friends were Caucasian, and they'd never been in the minority, never understood what that was about. And so Diwali's tomorrow. Uh, I took them to a Diwali party, and they are like, holy fuck, what's going on here? I've never been surrounded by all brown people in my life. And a few of them freaked the fuck out. Like, they just didn't know how to respond. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But anyway, the point is simply get out of your comfort zone, experiment, try new things, engage in new ways. Right? And, and also getting outside of your comfort zone might mean also getting outside of your source materials. So I think that a lot of the source material that we love dearly, unfortunately, it comes from a very small scope. So get away from Hollywood, maybe get away from very traditional, and that's starting to happen slowly with like fantasy models and things like that, and start looking at other, you know, other kinds of forms of media. So the, the question is sort of like, how do you, what, posting your beliefs and holding yourself accountable, what's the role? I mean, for me, like, I don't care. Like, you can, you can tell me all day how diverse you are, I don't care. Like, what I want to see is you to do it. So if you've got guidelines and that makes you feel better, that's great. But like, what I want to see is for you to live the work. And I also think that if you think posting your guidelines somehow makes you accountable and I'm not because I didn't post guidelines, then you have a skewed perception of accountability to begin with. And then two, I will inevitably take issue with the way you phrase it. I will almost never take issue with the way you do it. Because when you're doing it, I have nothing but love for you. When you tell me how great you are, then I will philosophically want to criticize you and be unable to do so. Posting the guidelines are helpful for you and you think that uh, it engages totally. better with the community, go for it. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think, so first, I, you know, I do work for, for myself and then for other companies. And I will tell you that uh, 
other companies, bigger companies, talk about the stuff like every day, right? Like, like so if you think like that, the, that Watsi or Paizo or, you know, you think they don't have these conversations, you are crazy. Whether they do them well is a, is a different function. But I would say that you are more likely to sit by yourself and miss it than you are to be a part of a major corporation and miss it. Um, because the major corporations are absolutely having that conversation. And this goes back to my sort of pride in our basic values. I really don't want Watsi to be the lead diversity generator for role playing. <laughs> like, not because I don't like Watsi, that's great, but like, come on. Like, we're supposed to be the bleeding edge with all the crazy ideas, and they're supposed to steal from us when we have awesome stuff. That's the, that's the deal, man. And so when it goes the other way, and we're like, oh, yeah, we should have some brown people here. Like, that makes me a little sad, right? So, <laughs> so like, what, what, I want, what I want is for you guys as game designers to push those boundaries and, and do it for money, do it for the art, do it for all of it, but lead. I actually want to say something quickly to Rob. Rob, you said uh, it really is touching a, a nerve with me, and, and I know this is not you specifically, but you said you didn't realize that all of your characters were white, and that is the quintessential thing. We as minorities often feel invisible. We feel like we are subsumed or assimilated, and our identities are not recognized as individuals, and that every conversation or everything is in the default, which is the default is white. And so I want to be part of the community, but I also want to be recognized as an individual, and that like I don't want to be like Ajit the Indian, but I want my ethnicity to be acknowledged, my skin color to be acknowledged. And so uh, it was interesting for you to look at those pictures and not realize that none of the, none of the, no one there was a person of color, yeah. and that is a question to think about as part of the community. There was a great post uh, about how the Giovanni in the World of Darkness oh, actually God. actually mistreat white people. Like, <laughs> like, like they're, they're this really like one part of the setting where you're like, and that's how you exploit white people, right there. Uh, and the way you do it is you, don't, you treat them as a means to an end rather than a means unto themselves. And the way you, what that means is that you look at them and you say, I will take everything from you that suits my interests without ever representing anything complex or different or interesting about your culture. Mexican gangbangers are real things. I know them. I, I have family members who are basically Mexican gangbangers. They're also people. And the difference is when you just say, this is a Mexican gangbanger, and his role in the narrative is to get punched in the face by your hero, you are using my culture and my people as a means to your end. When you say, this is a Mexican gangbanger who has interests and loyalties and loves and a way of approaching his own culture and his own way of thinking, then if he ends up being the bad guy, more, great, because you're highlighting a whole bunch of complex relationships that surround him, and he's real. It's not just a means to an end, right? He's not, he's not just a means for you and your narrative and your way of thinking. So it's not about whether you represent faux non-Western culture well. It's whether you represent it as a real culture that's not just in opposition to whatever great white culture there is. And so I think yeah. this, but this question is a rabbit hole around which we can go really deep. But the basic principle, I think, is think about why are you doing this? Are you doing it so it serves some other interest and this is your negative against which you can weigh a positive? Then stop. But if you're doing it because this negative, this villain or antagonist has a whole set of their own beliefs that would be beneficial to adding to the narrative, bring it on. Happy to talk about it. it. Happy a, to take risks. It makes you a better writer, right? Like how many times like, like, would like a villain or a culture just flat and boring because totally. like, no one just cared? I mean, taking the time to do this to make all these things like three-dimensional and interesting and nuanced makes it good. I'm going to use, I'm going to use an example, um, a very big crazy example. Um, so on Kickstarter, um, we published a book that wasn't, that had some really offensive, terrible stuff. And we said, we made a mistake. We're sorry. You admit immediately you're wrong <laughs> and that you've learned and what you've learned from it. 
and that you know and and, and don't and don't don't justify it just yeah, say, don't justify don't yourself. justify say i made a mistake i was wrong please show me what 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 is wrong like i know like if, if there's anything i'm missing here please like you just say that you admit that you're wrong and go and and and, and say i'm going to do better next time this isn't going to happen again hiring the person with a different perspective whether that's a woman or a minority or whatever that person will save your ass so go find those people and engage them so thank you so much everyone this seminar recording was made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and the metatopia convention organizing team Double Exposure. All of the Double Exposure conventions are amazing, and I can't speak highly enough of Metatopia as a convention for designers to meet up, to discuss, to test, and to learn more about this lovely hobby of ours. You can find out more at www.dexposure.com, and I hope you'll join us next year at Metatopia.